characteristics of Luke and today's difference. Uh, we thank you, Heavenly Father. We thank you again for this evening, Lord, for the presence, uh, your presence, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We ask you, Lord, to guide us to know more of your word and also a special prayer at this time. Lord, I pray that you be with her and comfort her, Lord. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. And so as you open Luke chapter 6, so the first question, of course, when you open up scriptures and before we read it, is the context. Like, who is he speaking to? Who is speaking? And under what circumstances? And where are we in the ministry of Jesus? Are we at the beginning, the middle, the end? You know, because sometimes the Gospels can play, play you a trick, right? Some Gospels are not always chronological, right? So it's very important to find out what it is. If you have difficulties with this, usually uh, you can buy yourself a... Chapter 6, it's after the rejection of the Messiah that Yeshua here in this chapter begins to prepare his departure, right? So what he's going to say are all for the training of the twelve. Okay, he was all for them at this point, okay? So, of course, the coming kingdom was not to be like they wished it was going to be. It wasn't going to be where the, the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. It's going to be like smaller. So, he's going to speak about some parables and so on and so forth. So, once we know that, we can understand better his words. So, let's go, uh, actually, let's start in chapter 5, Okay. And read verse 29 to 32. This is where we left off last week. And let's see what you can pick out as you read this passage. It says, Then Levi gave himself a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them. And their scribes and the Pharisees complained against the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Right? So we've seen part of this passage. Okay, so what do we see in there? How would you, uh, what do you understand? What is there? We notice is there's a party. Okay, uh, verse 29, and we saw yesterday that this is one thing that Levi, Levi, who's Levi by the way? Levi is Matthew. So Matthew made a party, of course, because he just met Jesus, and so he, uh, he brings in his friend, and he's a tax collector. So who are the tax collectors in Israel? Do you know anything about the tax collectors? The Romans, they were collecting taxes also for the temple also. I mean, uh, whoever, uh, you know, they were not liked. Imagine somebody comes to your house and say, I want some money, you know, for the Romans who are the invaders. So these people were seen as what? As traitors. That's right. So this is why it says in another passage, sinners and tax collectors, you know, and so on. Why? Because, and this is what the Pharisees said, how come you eat with tax collectors? Because they were not seen well at all. But Matthew was a tax collector, Right. Uh, so the, and, and number three, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees confronted the disciples, right? They didn't confront Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's easier, why? Is it easier to confront the disciples, right, instead of, of uh, Jesus? And in verse 31, where is the irony? Jesus and Well, uh, you don't need a physician, but the, were they well? Well, so he's making fun of them. If you think you're well, I'm not here for you. 
And God says the same thing again to people who, who are very proud and don't want to have nothing to do with God. He says, well, if you think you're okay, I, haven't, I cannot do anything for you. Because God, in a way, limits himself, right? Even when it comes to salvation and bringing people to Christ. Like, because the people limit him, so to speak. Not that he limits himself, the people limit him. Okay, but did you know Jesus like this? Did you know Jesus as a a, a person with a sense of humor? Uh, what's your idea of Jesus like? Uh, because we know him as the man of sorrow, right? Isaiah, he came to die, and we feel bad, right? But he's actually also a man with a good sense of humor. Okay, and you see it even in the most difficult times, there's a sense of humor there. There's a joy, a joy that you find in the heart of, of Jesus, of course, and also in the heart of every believer. Even when they go through difficult times, there is, deep inside, you can feel there's a joy, joy somewhere in their heart, even though they're, they're hurting and so on and so forth, right? And we've seen this, and we see this uh, even with the, some people at Betaria, okay? Now, uh, what about, uh, there's a new word, actually, that we find in here in verse 32, a new word that we find in Luke, and a new word that is very, very important. It is the last word, right? Okay, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the first time that Jesus mentions the word here, right? Uh, Prior to this, it was John the Baptist who called everyone to repent. Okay, so how can we understand repentance? Repentance is an important concept, by the way, that is ongoing in the sanctification of the person. We should never actually stop repenting, per se, right? Uh, how do you look at repentance? Anybody? Definitely U-turn. Once you realize you are, uh, that is, lost in the road of sin, you go back and you return to God. We always make many, like, 360 you know, as long as you go forward, it's okay. Okay, I mean, and so on. So, uh, and there God will uh, deem you righteous, right? Because repentance is important for salvation. Romans 10, 9. You need to repent to know that you're a sinner in order to have repentance. Because, uh, salvation, because repentance uh, has to do also, I mean, with hell, so to speak. You have to understand that there's a judgment because Jesus is called Yeshua. Yeshua means salvation. So salvation, in order to understand the concept of salvation, you have to repent because if you know what sin is, then forget about it. You can't get to Jesus. Yes. At the beginning of them, this is what I believe. The days of Noah are mainly in the days of the tribulation time especially, but we are actually, uh, right now, it, it began. Okay, uh, it began, and uh, in fact, we're going to see that he speaks about Sodom and Gomorrah, the same as it was then, it is now, and I was looking at statistics even about uh, homosexuality and so on. It is so flagrant, it is, I mean, it's growing, and they, there's no more shame, not any shame. In fact, we, we're supposed apparently to hide ourselves. Okay, so it, it is. It is, as you say, I think we're, we're coming to the rapture very soon. Yeah. And soldiers, because they know he was uh, doing miracles. So in case he would do a miracle with 600, it's kind of difficult, right? But he did anyway. Yeah. But at this point, no, they were just investigating the, uh, uh, Jesus himself, right? By the way, did you know the word righteous in, in, in Hebrew is tzaddik? The word tzaddik comes from the word tzaddik, which means straight. Okay, straight, like a right path. And the Greek, by the way, is similar. Okay, the word is from the root, meaning to give direction. 
Okay, so to be righteous is to go the right path. Like, okay, after that you make your your U-turn and so on. To sin is to miss the mark. Is that to get out of the works? Okay. So when you put all these works together, it's nice to see that it's like a walk. We have to walk that straight path up to heaven. Tell me, it's a little longer, but there are a few things in there. Read it and tell me again what you think about chapter verse thirty-three to thirty-nine. Okay. So then they said to him, What do you do? The disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise those of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And he said to them, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will take away from them, and they will fast in those days. And he spoke a parable to them. No one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one, otherwise the new makes a tear. And also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old, and no one puts new wine into old wine skin, or else the new wine will burst and the wine skin and be spilled, and the wine skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wine skins, and both are preserved. And no one, having drunk the old wine, immediately desires new, for he says, the old is better. Who is speaking here? Who is asking a question to Jesus in verse 33? That's right. And in verse 33, actually, you have three groups of people. Which are they? Three groups of people. The and, and the scribes, and you know, these are the one group. The other group, John's disciples. And the third group, you have Jesus' disciples. Three groups. Okay. So three groups, and these three groups actually... Uh, within these three groups, you're going to see in there a, a new or the first, so to speak, uh, Christian denomination. Which one? Apples of John, so to speak. Okay, like a new branch of Christianity, if you want, in there, right? While Jesus was there, they already had something coming out of Christianity. Now, what was wrong with the John disciples? Why, why are we still actually hearing about John's disciples? And what was the purpose of John? Okay, why does he have disciples at this point in time, for instance? And you have John the Baptist. Disciples should not exist. Because as soon as Jesus comes, this John disciple should go right away. So if there is still John disciples after that Jesus came, that means there's a problem. There's a problem. In fact, they, 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 we're going to see that they are arguing with the Pharisees against Jesus' disciples. So that's, in a way, a, a first anomaly within Christianity, so to speak. Okay, that was. I like to see that the first denomination, like, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad growth, you know, in there. Okay, it's like the mosaic. Law. Okay, when G- the function is of the mosaic law was to show Jesus. So when Jesus came, why do you keep the mosaic law again? It doesn't make sense, right? Uh, just like uh, give, give a pic- uh, you, you, you have a picture of your of your aunt and she comes and you kiss the picture. You know, it just doesn't make sense. That's why you know it, it doesn't. It, the, the whole thing. This is exactly what you said. The disciples of John the Baptist actually is a sad one because if you follow them through the Gospels, there's always a problem. In fact, you know that they still exist today. The, the Messiah or whatever. I mean, they, yeah, yeah, they still exist today. This small group. 
Andrew did that. They were with John the Baptist. When they saw Jesus, they left everything and they followed him. If you go back to uh, Luke 7.22, remember this speaks about John the, the people of John the Baptist. When they came and asked him the question that Natalie brought up, you know, uh, uh, and Jesus says, go tell, you know, John the Baptist that, uh, you know, what I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Look what he answers in, in Luke 7, 22. Mm-hmm. Jesus answer, answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have preached the gospel to them, have the gospel preached to them. Anyone hearing these things would know right away that this is the Messiah, because according to the prophecies of the Old Testament, he fulfilled them all in this verse. So they should have known right away, oh, you're the one, okay? Now, let me ask you a question. Did John the Baptist doubt? No. Commentators, modern commentators, say that he doubted. Old commentators, that is those of the first century, second, third, fourth century, even more, say that he didn't doubt. I think I would agree with the old commentators. Because what we see here is the goodness of John the Baptist. He knew he was about to die. He knew who he was. We've got to figure out. And so he was asking, he was telling his disciples, he was telling them he is the Messiah. He told them, go ask him if he's the Messiah. Because once they get there and they get the answer, they should have stayed with him. But these people did not stay with him. They just went away because they were there when they were not supposed to be there. How many people go to churches and they're not supposed to be in churches, right? They're there and then they, they, they don't listen to the word of God they're just there sitting down and so on we see this so many times happening especially when the church teaches the word of God at some point they just wonder you know what, what am I learning or what it is so the point is these people could not understand the word of God and so they left and John by grace was telling them go see the Messiah he will tell you if they didn't recognize the Messiah they were not supposed to be there to begin with at the so I think that John himself did not doubt, I think about his goodness. He said to them, go and see who is. Okay. Mm. You know, that's the word, made flesh, is in front of you. He always asks people to come themselves, okay? He never forces them. This is why what you have left at the end of the the, the cream of the church are those that take take the things themselves like this. You have to get them when you read the scriptures. This is why it's good to have, let's say, a commentary, you know, or to look at the words, you know, uh, concordance. Concordance will tell you if the word was repeated here, there, and so on. It, it's okay just to read it and, and to skim over it and be blessed. You're going to be blessed. But if you go deeper and deeper, you're going to be even more and more blessed. Okay, because all we're talking about is... Is there Now, let me ask you another question, because we see in verse 34 and 35... It speaks of the bridegroom and the friends. Okay, who are the friends? Yeah. Uh, we need to know. Otherwise, you can't keep on in the book of Luke. Okay. <laughs> so in this sense, either you, you call, you know, and we'll tell you if you're at home and where it's a good idea. That's response to John the Baptist and to the scribes and Pharisees in Luke 5 is found in this verse. He said, verse 34, and let's read it again. And he said to them, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come and the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast in those days. I, I wish he would say it so clearly, right? 
that when he says it like this, go work, he says. Go find out what I'm saying. You know, and this is the beauty about the scriptures. Yes, sir. This is what? He, he, he cannot be the bride. Why? Because he comes, he is, he, he's as if he comes from the Old Testament. Yes. He is the last Old Testament prophet. This is why he had to die. Okay. Now we would understand better about John the Baptist and what is happening right there and then. Okay. Uh, you, you remember what Jesus says about John the Baptist in Matthew 11:11? 11, 11, we've seen that passage. You, you, you can go there. Because it's important, because here again, this is a hard saying, not a hard saying of Jesus, but a difficult of understanding, a passage that is difficult to understand. 11-11, i read it for you. I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow. <laughs> Go figure this one out. Right? Who, what do you mean by that? That John the Baptist is greater than Moses? Yes. I'm asking really is, uh, no one who has risen is greater than John the Baptist. And I'm thinking of Abraham, of David. What, is John the Baptist greater than them? This is my no, question. No, not better. You know, when he says in the scriptures that you shall do better, uh, greater miracles than Jesus, don't think that you're going to do better. Forget it. Greater in extent because you, you, I've been a believer for 37 years and I'm in Jesus only for three years on earth. You understand? So in greater extent. So the, meaning that John the Baptist was very close to Jesus. And we know from 1 Peter chapter 1 that the, the, the greater desire of the, the, the prophets was to see Jesus. They were talking about him. They were prophesying it. They, they were dying to know who it was. You understand? They didn't have everything maybe more towards the end like Malachi, Zachariah, all of these prophecies. So even they, maybe they were dying even more. But John the Baptist actually baptized the Messiah. Wow! So that's why he's greater. <laughs> so in that sense, he is greater. First Peter 1.11, I want to read it for you. You when it comes to, uh, to the door here, <laughs> because I'm closer to the door. <laughs> 1.11, I want to read it for you. You don't have to turn there. So he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, and he says, searching what and what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glories that would follow. That means they knew about him, but they didn't know him. Okay, just like today, right? We know so much about Christ, but we never saw him. That will be great when we go to heaven and we finally see him. That would be like a revelation like you never had in your life. Okay, so that's the same thing. So these were searching and John the Baptist was first in there. Okay. Yeah. He says, there has not reason what greater than John, so that makes John greater than the others. This is how I would see it. I know you're a mathematician, and sometimes you know. At <laughs> least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, meaning that we have the Spirit of God. Not only we haven't seen Christ, but we have his Spirit dwelling in us. So in that sense, we are greater than them, that means we're closer to God. You know. In now, let's go into the parables that he gave here. Okay, what do you understand by the parable of the new and old garments? And you're going to compare it with the parable of the new and old wine, because there seems to be a contradiction here. In fact, people have seen a contradiction, and some manuscripts omitted verse 9, because they couldn't actually put the two together. 
Okay. First, what, what, what is the parable of the old and new uh, garment? The parable is very simple, right? We don't need to go uh, far. It's the case of not mixing two things that are different. A new patch in an old garment, okay, what would it do? Okay, it, it would actually, uh, I mean, the garment will tear or something will tear. You don't do that. Okay, if you have a tear in an old church, you cannot cover it with a, uh, a new piece of material. It will not match, first of all. This is what I think it says when it says in verse 36, agree. They will not agree. Okay, so there's something wrong in the, in the, in the look of it. Second, it would eventually tear because the thread joining the two will tear under the force of a new piece uh, and on the old. Okay, uh, and so on. So that that's well, what did he mean by that? By the way, what does Jesus mean by that practically today? Don't mix, exactly. No, no, not to come in. No. So don't mix the, the two covenants, the old covenant with the new covenant. Yes, or with the new life, not, not necessarily old covenant with the new covenant. Don't bring in your stuff from the old life, okay, into the new one. Okay, you can as long as it doesn't disturb it disturbs your growth, you do it. We had, we had a call, by the way, just commandment, which says you shall have no representation of, actually, second commandment, representation of uh, God, okay, in there. So I said, if it is a stumbling block, don't have it there, okay? If it's a stumbling block. People might, people might have a picture, you know, of what the painter thought was Jesus, and it's worth a million dollars, you might buy it for an investment, I don't mind, actually. Right? But, but don't, don't think that it is Jesus, because Jesus doesn't look like this. And I love the Mormon Jesus. In the scriptures, that the transition from one dispensation to another was always the most difficult one. You know who had the hardest time going from law to grace? Who had the hardest time? And required that God comes and tells him. And he said, no. Now, Paul actually was very good considering. Peter. Peter, the key. That means only him, okay, could open up the, 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 the way to the Gentiles. And so he had to go to Cornelius in Acts 10. Cornelius was the first Gentile who came to believe. And God says, well, they're coming. The problem is that Jews could not get into the house of a non-Jew because they didn't eat kosher. And God, not to God, three times. And finally he understood that he went and he stayed with Cornelius. It was very difficult to change from one to the other. This is where the parable of Jesus comes alive. Maybe he remembered that parable itself and so on. Yes. And you want absolutely what you want as long as it doesn't disturb your growth. It doesn't go against the word of God. We can. We can watch hockey game. We can wine. You understand? As long as you don't get drunk, you're okay. You understand? So, you, let's not be legalist. We are free with Christ. It's complete freedom. But there's a problem in the two parables here. Because here, uh, the, the, uh, the, old, the uh, new is better, right? Don't go back into the old. But in the next parable about the wine, the new wine is better. What do you mean by okay? The old is better. The new is better. Uh, the, the old is better, what am I saying? Okay. Uh, and with the wine, the new, no, the old wine is better, I'm sorry. Okay, here I get mixed up myself. Okay, so what is better, the new or the old? Seminar, you know, there are a group of scholars who decided that 39 verse 39 is not there. Actually, what is actually uh, the, uh, the old wine? The old is better, right? The old wine is better. What does it mean by the old wine? Again, you know what? If you have to put it practically, what is it in the scriptures that is better in the old? Many, it's 
something some things never change that's the word of god okay uh, jeremiah 6:16 one of my favorite verse where, where jeremiah says go back to the old path don't get out of it okay because anything that is new by the way there's nothing new okay don't think like new age and new these are old lies that to, that are dressed differently okay all things that are give you give them another name another color because all these new things you can see them there's sins in the way that, that, that occurred way before but jeremiah says jeremiah 6:16 i want to read it for you okay if you have one verse to learn by heart this week you can learn 616 six, six, it says so what's happening with Jeremiah Israel was completely out out of the will of God they didn't listen to the prophets anymore Jeremiah is an exilic prophet all the pre-exilic like Isaiah Amos uh, Hosea, all these people came and gave them all the words, but Jeremiah, uh, the, Israel did not heed their words, so Jeremiah pleads with them, and he says, he says, stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old path, right, where the good way is, and walk in it, then you will find rest for your soul. The old path is the word of God. The old path is, are the words, the, 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 the teaching of God in the scriptures. So the new one is also when we say about the, the new life is when we get uh, our the spirit and we live our old sinful life. Okay, but and, and the old one, so to speak, is the word of God that we bring in and so on. All right. So th- this is what the passage actually brings us to contemplate. Right, the the old one and the new life and so on, so forth. Okay. So you see that two things in there: the old perishable, the other is eternal. Okay, in, in both the things. We have time. Let, let's look at chapter 6. Because chapter 6, the first five verses are not easy. This is when you get into a, the, 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 let's say a passage that requires, let's say, uh, a commentary or maybe a deeper study uh, of, of what actually is meant here. Because Jesus could have said something, you know, and we're going to try to figure out. Let's begin by reading the first uh, five verses, chapter 6. It says, Now it happened on the second Shabbat, after the first, that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you, uh, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Shabbat? But Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those were with him. How he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he said to them, the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Shabbat. Okay. Tough, eh? You can see what David meant. You have to see the, the history about the showbread and the, what did the, uh, you know, the Pharisees meant. So verses 1 and 2 set the stage, right? Shabbat. It is reported that they were doing something that was unlawful, okay, to do on the Shabbat. This is what the Pharisees did. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus break the law at any time? No. How come they are accusing Jesus of breaking the law? 
The, the Pharisees were not going by the Mosaic law. They were not. If they were, they would see Jesus, Jesus being the Messiah. This is written in John 5.46. Huh? If they knew Moses, they would know me. So the Pharisees, as modern Judaism, do not go by the Mosaic law. They don't go by the word of God. They go by their own laws. And here we see a big difference, difference between the two. They are accusing, actually, the author of the Mosaic law to break the law. Their own law. Their problem is that they call their own law the Mosaic law. Just like today, they say, oh, we believe in the Torah. What Torah are you talking about? Right? <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not. You have to go to the Word and you go to see that big difference. This is number one. In fact, I just want to tell you that Jesus himself was under the law when he was on earth. That's another point we need to remember. Because some of the things he said, okay, cannot be attributed to the church because he's under the law. Let me bring you one passage, and we saw it a few times, but let's see it again, it's important. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. And you're going to see that he's, actually he's adamantly under the law. Matthew preferred... A chapter for those who think we are under the law. And they say, look what he says. Deal with this, because if you don't know how to deal with it, you're going to be caught by the others who's going to ask you the question. So what is it? See what he says. To destroy the law or the prophets that did not come to destroy, but to fulfill, for assuredly I said to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot, one tittle will by no means pass by the law. And here he makes sure that everyone kept the law. And then he adds, until all is fulfilled. Right? So the first part, the first until, okay, nothing can break the law, even if you, if heaven and earth passes, this is when he was under the law. But there's another until in there, until all is fulfilled. All is fulfilled is when he died and resurrected. Galatians 3.19 is clear about that. He says that the law was there until the seed came to fulfill it, and that's it. Right? So, those who quote that passage forget about until all is fulfilled. So, they're still back into the law, and we can do that, because if you're back, if you're going to follow the law, you're going to be judged by the law. You don't want to do that, right? So, you, you despise, in a, in a way, the sacrifice of Christ, who actually uh, covered the whole system, the Mosaic system. The law. One of the purposes of the law is to show you that you cannot uh, actually fulfill the law. The try and try to com- accomplish it, and you cannot. And this is the whole idea. This is, remember when Jesus spoke to that man who said, how shall I do to be saved? And Jesus quotes the law to him, and the guy says, I did everything. Right? That was the wrong answer. This is where he should have said, you know what, I cannot do any of these things. Then Jesus would have said, I came for you. Come and have salvation. The guy said, I I did everything. So Jesus says, yeah, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. He pushed it even more further than this, much more further, because the guy was rich. And the guy left. Can you can do that? Of course you can do that. Because by faith you have to accept that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled all the law so you don't have to do it yourself. This is the beauty. But there's beauty in the law, by the way. Let's not put the law down too much. Next week, and we're going to see the, the actual uh, application of the law itself, or the week after that is, somebody's going to teach next week.